Good morning. Man, that just barely gave me enough time to get this thing on. Good to see you. Man, it is so nice. I'm, I'm seeing people first time back. I met some people in the last couple of services first time back, and we're just really glad you're here. And I want to say hi to everybody online. We're live now at, at all of our services. That feels really good. And all three of our campuses are, are healthy and strong. And thank you for just continuing to trust God with your life as we, as a nation, come out of a bunch of stuff. But we are just so grateful to have you back in the building. It really does mean a lot. We are instructed by God to assemble and to come together for worship, praise, for uh, being able to exalt together. So that, that to me, it's just a lot of fun. I hope that you are having a good summer. Everybody good? Happy? Eating plenty of burgers? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, I love this psalm that we're talking about. It's kind of a fun one because, you know, psalms, just the whole book of psalms, if, it, typically the way I read psalms is I'll read it like, I don't just read through psalms, like one, two, three, four, five. I'll find psalms that fit my mood or feeling or like, yeah, identify with this, but you get all kinds of stuff in the psalms. You get one psalm that's like, wipe out my enemies, kill them all, stretch them, pull their arms off. You know, it's like, it's like just, just go God. Be, maybe not quite that graphic, but some of them are. Today's psalm has a little of that in it. David is trusting God to wipe out his enemies in this psalm, and I like it for that reason. Other psalms are just mellow and quiet, and you're just kind of hiding into the shelter of the almighty God, you know, kind of down by the, the creek and all that stuff. You know, just this warm, fuzzy stuff. But this one today also has a narrative with it, which is especially fun. Some psalms are just standalone poems or songs. This is a song that was written by David based out of a story in his life involving King Saul. How many of you know who that is? Started out good, didn't he? God saw that he had a good heart and and he was just this amazing guy, and all of a sudden, pride and arrogance and impatience and anger, and now he's a bad king. He's done some really weird things, and he's, you know, David has been anointed king. In this psalm, David has already been anointed king, but Saul is still ruling as king. God hasn't taken him out yet. And so what's happening here is, Saul is trying to kill David. For those of you that don't know anything about the Old Testament or kings, this is kings of Israel. God has said, David's the guy, but Saul won't let it go. And so now he's trying to kill the guy who's going to take his place. So that's kind of where we pick it up. And this story takes place in this cave, in this valley of what's called En Gedi. Matter of fact, you, if you go to Israel and you take this trip, I've been to this, many of you have been to the, the cracks in the road and they say, this is where David was hiding when Saul armies came and tried to kill him. It's, it's still all there to this day. So I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel 23, 24. That's where the story is when David wrote this psalm, Psalm 54. I believe he wrote some of it, some of it while he was in the cave hiding from Saul. And I believe he wrote some of it. It's only seven verses. And we're not going to read it yet. We're going to read it at the very end because then you'll have the context of all the story and it will make a lot more sense to you why he says some of the things that he does. So here's the story. Number one, if you have the app, 
downloaded, you can go, but it'll be on the screen as well. It's a story of betrayal, which is a harsh word, tough, tough word. The Ziphites, the men of Ziph, say it with me, Ziph, one more time, Ziph, okay, I'm not making that up, I promise. They were called the Ziphites. Now here's the dilemma with the Ziphites. David was part of the tribe, there are 12 tribes in Israel, and he's from the tribe of Judah. So are the Ziphites. Tribes got to stick together, you know what I mean? But it's, it's part of his tribe that actually give him up and tell Saul where he's hiding. So it's a heartbreak moment for David. His own people are basically giving him up so that Saul can kill him. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 19, but now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. They told him where David was hiding, and they explained where this stronghold was in the valley, and they give all the language. And if you come down to verse 20, it says, Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we will catch him, and we will hand him over to you. It's sad to me what David must have felt when word got to him that his own people had betrayed him. I don't think it's an exaggeration if I said every one of you in this room at some level or another, someone has disappointed you. Maybe not a full-out betrayal. I don't know how you would define that. But all of us have had people in our lives who didn't step up like we hoped they would or they didn't follow through like they said they would or maybe it's real betrayal. They walked away from their vow to you. They no longer did what they said they would do it's, it's disappointment, it's harsh, it's tough when we live with this emotional baggage when someone walks out of our life. And that can scar you for life. I mean, genuinely, it can. It can stay with you the rest of your life. I wish that I had the ability to forget. Like people say, well, forget about it. You're not going to forget about it. That's not humanly possible. Your brain brings this in and it's there. Now, can you overcome it? Yes. I know that I've overcome pain or hurt or heartache in my life. No, no question. But why would the men of Ziph do that? And I, I guess this is a moment when I, I, I'm preaching for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm asking you, will you consider some of these things? When is it that I am tempted to walk away from a commitment? When is it that people say, no more? Why did the men of Ziph say, we're going to give him up? It, there's a lot of possibilities. Disappointment in David, maybe. Maybe they didn't like the way he was running from Saul and they wanted a, quote, real leader to step up. Maybe they, I think this is really possible, they wanted the favor of King Saul. You know, kings can make your life easier back in these days. Did you know that? If they do a favor for King Saul, maybe he's going to ship some soldiers over there to protect him, give him some food. Maybe they said, hey, let's do this because we have an opportunity to get in the favor of Saul. I don't know what it is, but I just know that typically selfish ambition drives people to walk away from sometimes the truth that they have been trying to live with. And I'm challenging you, and I'm being challenged today, not to let that happen in my life. Stay true to my vows and stay loyal to my God. The second thing about this story is that it's a story of aggression. We have a lot of aggressive behavior in our culture these days. People are very impatient. 
Uh, people believe that they're right about something and they come after people who see it a different way. And Saul is exactly in this scenario. After Saul returned, this is 24-1, from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men, probably the best warriors, from all of Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That's a real place. That's what they called it, the crags by the wild goats. Okay? So they're going to go there physically. Now, this is kind of a classic move of Saul. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with him, Saul was one of those yo-yo guys that had this amazing heart. David used to play his harp and minister to the emotions of Saul, and then it would soothe him, and then he would sort of have a fit and go crazy and throw a sword at David. You know, there's all kinds of craziness that is in Saul's life. But in this moment, he's aggressive. He's angry. He's jealous. He has a lot of pride. You guys, when you put those type of words with someone who has all power and all authority, you've got a problem, right? Because all authority, all power, Saul could say, you know, lop his head off. I'm tired of looking at him. And, and it would be done. So when you have an aggressive person who justifies his behavior or hers and has the power to go with it, it's scary. And people abuse their power. Here, here's, here's a classic example. You've heard this over the last year and a half. You've heard someone say, well, if I was president, if, if I was the boss, if, if I was leading that organization, see, the problem with that is you don't know all the facts that they know. You're just assuming that you're right about stuff. Because <laughs> how many of you are usually right? Just be honest, you know. Just, yeah. Exactly. What if I was in control? I know what I would do. I want to I wanna pause and just say something. COVID has been tough. It's been tough on churches across America. There are many churches in America that don't exist anymore because of COVID. People bickering, fighting, mean, saying horrible things, different sides. We've, we've had a few angry people, but i got to tell you, for the most part, this church, you have been absolutely stunning. You have loved one another. You have cared for the right things. How many of you know this church has a lot of diversity in it? We have people on the right and the left, and it's been tough to see those exchanges. But I'm telling you, overall, I am deeply appreciative that you are putting God first. Because God matters most his spirit, that temperament that we need to have. Saul put himself first. Don't ever do that. Even if you are right, even if you feel you're justified, pay attention to what God wants out of you. I couldn't help but think of Jesus. Just, just a side note. On the cross, fully empowered. Did he have all authority? Could he have wiped everybody out? Yes. He's on the cross and he's done nothing wrong. He's not a criminal, and they're killing him by crucifixion, which was torture. And he's looking out at everybody, and he could have just said, Father, I can't do it, out with them, and they would, they would be destroyed. But instead, he looks upward, and he says to his father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. What did he do? He saw beyond the reaction. He saw beyond the selfishness. 
and he saw the depth of human need. I don't know if I'm mature enough to do that. I don't feel like I do that very well. I would want to take Saul out if I was David. Kill them before they kill me kind of thing. But Jesus laid his life down. They didn't kill him. He gave up his life so that you and I could be here today. And I am so grateful for what he did. When I, when I think of that, it takes me to that third point. A story of mercy and grace. It's a story of mercy and grace on the side of David. And this changes the, the story quite a bit in the narrative. So what happens is, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to set this up before I read it. Um, Saul and his army, they get there. And David and his soldiers are hiding in the cave. And Saul, just to put it like the Bible says, he had to go to the bathroom. How many of you have to go to the bathroom sometimes? Okay. It's, a true, it's a true fact about our, our humanness. So it's kind of weird, but the Bible says he went to relieve himself. So Saul climbs up this little hill, not knowing David's in the cave right there with his army. And Saul's going to the restroom. And this is what happens in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 24. Now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him. Can you imagine? They're in this cave, and Saul's right there. And they're like, Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with, to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off his head. No, 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 no. David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now that's close. The, the, robe, the king's robes were pretty long, but not 100 feet. So literally David is right behind the king and he cuts off a piece of his, of his robe. He could have killed him, but he didn't. But David, look at this. Here's how tender he was. Then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. If I was one of those warriors, I would be so frustrated with David right now. I'm like, God has given us an opportunity. Let's take the hill. Come on. What is wrong with you? But David had this conviction. Even though he didn't have alignment with Saul as a person, he respected the fact that he was still in the position of an anointed king. He respected that position so much that he felt guilty about cutting a piece of that robe. That's tenderness. I don't know. If I'm running for my life, I'm not going to be quite that receptive. I don't think. To God. Let's learn from that today. How can you be receptive when you're hurting? How can you be receptive when someone's going after you? This is practical. This is what we live in. This is the kind of world that we have to face every single day. I think about this part of the story, and I've come to with a couple things that I want to throw out for you to consider. First of all, our actions in every situation will have consequences. So we usually know that, but we don't always think it through. This week, th your, your actions are going to have cons maybe good consequences. Maybe not so good, but they will have consequences. Another part of this that's interesting is that 
feeling justified to act a certain way, I'm gonna gonna stretch it. Being justified to act a certain way still may not be the best action. But I'm justified in doing this. Yeah, you may be. But is it the right action? These These are complex things in our mind that take discernment by the Spirit. It's not easy, and I'm not saying it's easy. But David was in the middle of this. And it's, even if you have the opportunity to get even, think about whether or not it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt them anyway. What are you letting live in your heart, in your conscience, in your mind, in your body? And be careful how you counsel people. Because you don't know their whole story. These warriors, they were, they were on David's side and they wanted to take him out because that was their perspective. David had a bigger perspective of God and kingdom and future and what this looked like. And they're like, take him out. And David's like, it's not that easy. I, I, I got to admit, I learned when I was very young, I first became a pastor and, and um, I, you know, my, my minor is in psychology and some counseling and so... You know, I've, I've learned since then that I'm definitely not qualified to be a good counselor because my lead gifts are like encouragement, empathy, care. You know, if there's someone in the room that's being neglected, I run to them. You know, I'm like, I, I care. And so that's my pastor's heart. So when early on, I would have a couple that would come up to me, you know, and say, we're having some problems in our marriage. Can we come and talk to you about it? And I'm like, sure. And then it was always the wife who would come first. No, we need separate appointments, explain our situation. So the wife would always come first, and I would, I would hear her whole story. And by the end of her story, I'm like, let's go get that guy. He makes me sick. I cannot believe he did that to you. you know? And then it's his turn. So he comes in, tells me the whole story, and at the end I'm like, she did not tell me the whole story. <laughs> Let's go get her. <laughs> That's when I stopped counseling. Uh, and I refer them to some of you who were counselors. And so it all works out. Matthew Henry, who was a scholar, a commentator from the late 1600s, um, clear through, I think he died like in 1714, but he, com- he commented on the whole Bible. You can download his notes for free, uh, the, the Matthew Henry commentary. But he had a really bad uh, experience where someone um, stole his, his wallet. And it, it, I think it was kind of a violent attack. It didn't hurt him physically, but it could have. And they asked him about what happened. And this is what he said. Now listen to this. This is amazing. Four quick things. He said, I am thankful that he never robbed me before. He may have known him. I don't know. Secondly, he said, I am thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. Thirdly, although he took all I had, it was not much. But the fourth one just gave me pause. Listen to this. Fourthly, I am glad that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. You see how different that perspective is of appreciating what I do have. David was in a cave saying, I just don't think I can take this guy out. Something doesn't feel right about it. That's grace. That's mercy that Saul did not deserve. 
Number four. This is a story of repentance. And it's on the part of Saul, which is interesting because this moved Saul. So what happens in the story is that Saul goes back down the hillside to be with his soldiers. You, you can read about this. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll tell you. And David comes out of the cave and says, Saul, I have a piece of your robe that I cut off. I could have killed you. And Saul's like, what? Grabs his robe. There's a whole piece out. David's holding it. Saul is blown away. He realizes that his life has been spared. And in verse 16, it says, When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. Why was he crying? I think he was crying because he was so stunned that someone would have a quality that he knew nothing about. And it was overwhelming to him. And he simply said, you are a better man than I. You have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. David's grace and mercy revealed to Saul how brutal and vicious he himself had become. And it stunned him. That's why offering grace to people that don't deserve it, man, it's sometimes the biggest hit between the eyes you can give them. They're not expecting that. An eye for an eye. <laughs> you know, I, I think it was Mahat Gandhi who said, if we, if we lived an eye for an eye, the whole world would be blind. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes the grace that God provides us needs to shock people into the reality. How do you treat people who oppose you? Do you still recognize God values them? Man, that's hard. I'm, I know I'm saying some hard things. I know I am. Lastly, number five, a story of deliverance. God delivers David. Saul leaves him be. Saul doesn't die and David doesn't die. And the stories continue. But both learned some lessons on that day. And David went back and wrote it down. Psalm 54. It's in two parts. It's a song. It's written as a song. It has one selah in it or interlude in it, which means pause and think about this. The first three verses of the psalm are very, um, come Lord and destroy my enemies. I think these were written in the cave when he knew, heard that Saul was coming. Here, here it is. I'll read the prelude. For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time the Ziphites came and said to Saul, we know where David is hiding, to be accompanied by string instruments. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea, for strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. They don't, in other words, they don't have these values. Selah, or stop. Let the instruments play. Think about that concept. And then he went on to wrap up this psalm by saying this. And this is a proclamation. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. 
May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you have promised and put an end to them. I love this. It's like, I didn't kill Saul, but I sure want you to. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good, for you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. I wrap up with a question. What is your story? How are you emotionally today? Where does your strength lie? Are you living embittered, enraged, angry, ready to lash out because you're justified to have those feelings? You may be, but this is a great morning to stop and think and ask God what your response might need to be. Some of you, it's from your past, and I don't want to dig all that up. If God's redeemed it and you've moved on, stay there. But today we're going to do something a little unique. We've done it through the years multiple times. When we moved into this building in 2001 or whatever it was, I preached a sermon on on the walls of Jericho, and I asked those of you who were facing something impossible to go to the walls. And since then, we've done that multiple times where I invite people to go to the wall and just put a hand on the wall. There's nothing magical in the wall, just so you know. But it's a point of contact for you to say, I make a declaration. Today, I'm leaving this here. Whatever the burden is, whatever the need is, it might not be anything wrong in your life. It might just be, you need deliverance. You need a God who hears you. You need to know that you can give this to God and you're going to leave it there because you can't go change it. So in a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to have Cam play and you're just going to go to the wall. In any of you that need to. And then we're going to pray over you. That's it. And then you're going to come back to your seat. So would you stand if you're able, please, right now? Because we really want to pray for you. You are family. We are a church family. Scripture calls us brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. So if you know there's something bigger than you and you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave this at the altar today. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm taking it to the wall and I'm going to leave it there. Would you please go now and just put a hand on either side of this room? And then we're going to pray in just a second. Amen. Thank you, God. As they go to the wall, I just want to tell you, I know that we can help one another and we can care for one another, but I promise you, God can do in two seconds what mankind cannot do in 10 years. God can heal the spirit man. And that's something that we can't do. We don't have that kind of power, but God does. And so I want us to really pray for these who have taken the time and stepped out today. So as I lead us in a prayer, would you just pray in agreement with me? However, if you want to extend an arm, great. If you don't, but just agree with me. We love you, those of you on the wall. We care about what you're facing today. And we invite you to leave it at the altar today. Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters. Thank you for the release that they feel to go to the wall and say, I give this to God. I trust you. I want your deliverance. I want your hand. I want your attitude, your spirit, regardless of what it is, Lord. We need you to be God because we are not. 
and we acknowledge that today. And we trust you in this moment to be with them, encourage them, let them feel a renewing in their mind, an openness in their spirit for you to heal in an unexpected way to go deeper than what mankind is capable of doing. We pray this in your mighty name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's let these people know we love them. Would you join me? We love you guys. We really do.